And verse 9 he says, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. To provide for you there. Now the question is this, or as, as Vance Havner puts it, are you there? I'm absolutely convinced that, that the ravens would have never fed Elijah except there. And the widow would have never found him to make provision for his need except there. Because there is a place, a, a particular specific place where God wants you. And at that place, he provides and meets your needs nowhere else. Havner says it's the place of purpose. It's a place where God wants you in time. Now sometimes, you know, he gets us on these detours and he takes us down these side streets sometimes in order that we, he might thrust us upon himself where we might trust him and depend on him. What the, the question, the issue is, what are you learning on the side streets and the detours of life? Because it is, the, it is there that God meets the need, the place of purpose and the place of power and the place of provision. So God put him there on a detour, on a side street, and taught him to trust him and to live that kind of trust kind of life. Because God was about to do something big in Elijah's life. In fact, he said, you know, something marvelous is going to take place in your life. And it seems to me that before God ever does anything spectacular, miraculous, unexplainable, divine in a person's life, he always takes them on some side street and gets them ready for it. Now, it may seem to you that you're in a kind of a parenthesis or a pause in your life. It may be God's getting you ready for something great. Now, chapter 18, verse 17, he, uh, he says, I want you to go and, you know, um, and, and um, when Ahab saw Elijah, I want you to go and, and, and to Ahab, God told Elijah. And verse 17, it came about when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? Now there have been three years when there have been no rain, not even dew, and, and the stench of death is everywhere. It was as dry as Seminole, Texas, you know, a dust bowl, and there was nothing, you know, living, uh, no vegetation, uh, absolute desert, and when Elijah appears before Ahab, there was fire in his eyes. And he literally says, Is this you, you snake in the grass? And you say, where'd you get that? Well, in the Hebrew, true story, this, this word troubler is the word that means serpent in hiding. And Elijah is called this snake in the grass, this troubler of Israel. And Elijah's response to Ahab was, listen, I'm not the one causing this trouble. And I'm not the one responsible for the drought. God has brought about this drought because of folks like you. And I'm about to prove that to you. So the moment of truth has arrived. The defining moment has come in verse 19. This is the proposition he makes. 
He said, Now then send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. She's feeding these guys, 400 of them. Didn't have an appetite like mine, I guarantee you, 400 of these. And they, there are two kinds of people in, in, that, in that world, two, two classes of people, two groups of people. There were the sons of Israel and the prophets of Baal and the worshipers of the idol Baal. And it was these prophets that Elijah addresses and he, and he wants to win back these people who follow them. And so the proposition is in verse uh, 19 and 20, So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. How long are you going to, to um, drift along in mediocrity? The lines of, uh, of, uh, have been drawn. The issue has been established. It's time that you put up or shut up. It's time that you, if you're going to talk to talk, to walk to walk. It's time that there be surrender and separation. That the issue is, how long are you going to, 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 to limp along in mediocrity? If God is God, follow Him. If God is Baal, follow Him. I mean, but make up your mind which, is, which you're going to do. It seems to me that there's enough evidence in the, uh, the book of Revelation to substantiate the belief that God had rather have your uh, unbelief and your rejection than your lukewarmness. That's what he's saying. If you're going to be a Christian, be one. And if you're going to be a Christian, let there be in this life, your, your life some kind of surrender and separation. There's no place for mediocrity. There's no place for lukewarmness. There's no place for nominality. It's give it all to God or give none to Him. That's the issue here. Now, some, sometimes, you know, when I'm channel surfing and, and uh, checking out stuff on television, I watch a little boxing. And there's this guy up there. He has a bow tie, kind of like y'all been wearing. No, it's red. It's a red bow tie. His name's Michael Buffer. You ever seen him? He's an announcer on uh, Friday night at the fights, you know. And this guy's in a tuxedo, you know. It's always a mystery to me how those, why those guys go to a fight in a tuxedo. <laughs> they go to, he's in this ring, and he, he, they bring down this microphone, and they ring this bell, and, and uh, he kind of says in a very dramatic time, in a, in a dramatic tone, let's get ready to rumble. I mean, and when he says that, everybody just goes bananas. I mean, he just goes crazy, wild, cheering. Let's get ready to rumble. And so he got up on Mount Carmel, and Elijah rang the bell. Wasn't in a bow tie. He rang the bell, a little microphone came down, and he says, All right, folks, 
let's get ready to rumble. Here's what's going to happen. Look at this magnificent story. He says, now let them give, give us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood, and I'll not put fire under it. And he gives them the benefit of the doubt because Baal is the god of the sun, the origin of fire, and uh, he's given them a kind of a head start, I guess you could say. If, god, if Baal is really the god we, you should worship, he ought to be able at least to start a fire, or after all, he's the god of the fire. So let's put, the, let's put the ox here, let's put the wood here. We won't put any fire under it. Then we'll call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of, of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Let me say parenthetically, that's the real test. The God who answers by fire. The real test of, is of, of, a, of, a, of a worship service or an evangelistic meeting is not how well the sermon went over, how, how good the preacher was and entertaining. The real test after the service is over is to ask yourself, did the fire fall there this morning? I mean, was there any fire on the altar? Did we see any evidence of it? They said, if God answers by fire, then he's the God. And all the people answered and said, that's a good idea. We, we'll go for that. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it for, your, for you are many and call on the name of your God, put no fire under it. Then they took the ox which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. And no one answered, and they leaped about the altar which they made. And it came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Now, if you don't think there's a humor in the Bible, you haven't read this part, this passage here. Now, there are some translations that, that I won't get into about what Elijah said, but I'll let your imagination, you know, uh, kind of... Uh, Stir you a little bit if you want to find out what you come and ask me after church. And begin to mock, mock them. Call out with a loud voice, for he is a God. I mean, if, he, if Baal is God, then if he doesn't answer, it must be your problem, it must be your fault. You need to holler louder. Either he's occupied or gone aside, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. So they cried with a loud voice. Edder Shime says that they cut themselves, they literally bit themselves. They're in such frenzy now and until blood gushed out. But there was no voice and no one answered and no one, I love this, and no one paid attention. I mean, they were on this, they were in this frenzy of worship and, and no one answered, nobody even cared from where they were calling. So look at verse, so verse 30, Elijah steps up to the plate. And he said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him. 
and he repaired the altar of the Lord which had been torn down. Now I want to pause here and do a little sermonizing. Got a little time to do that. I want to, I want to say something about the fact that there needs to be some repairing of the altar before the fire falls. Sometimes before there can be the, the, the manifestation of God, some altars need to be repaired. There may be some reconciliation that needs to go on. I've seen revival come to a church, dead church, simply because two people who had been estranged from one another got right with each other. They repaired the altar. And there may be some family altars that need to be repaired. I mean, how long has it been since you as a family have had a time around a prayer around an altar? It may be that your home life needs to be repaired. It may be that your business, there's dishonesty in your business. Some of you may need to get back to God and return to your first love. There may be some altars that need to be repaired. Second thing is, is that the whole offering was placed on the altar. He cut it up into pieces, but all of the, all, all of the sacrifice was placed on the altar. Before the fire can fall, there has to be the total commitment of one's life to Him. I mean, you can't hold anything back from the altar and expect the fire to fall. And sometimes we have to recognize or see or admit that some of the sacrifice is counterfeit. I mean, some of the things we do in church, we do with, with uh, mirrors and smoke. And what we have a lot of times is just what we can, we're able to generate ourselves. I mean, there's no real evidence of the fire of God because there's these, there are these counterfeit altars that we erect. I mean, an honest approaching of God with one's life totally committed to Him. That's the repairing of the altar. And so He prepared the altar. He took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come to him saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood, cut the oxen pieces and laid it on the wood and he said, Fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on that wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the, wa and the water flowed around the altar and he, was, and he also filled the trench with water. Now what he was doing here was to make sure that nobody could say that what happened could be explained as a result of human effort, human ability. If fire falls to consume this altar, it can only be fire from God. I mean, it's not something man is going to be able to reproduce. After all, isn't that what we long to see? Something 
that's not explainable in human terms. Something that can only be explained in the supernatural act of God. It came about at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came there and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that thou art God in Israel and that I'm thy servant and that I've done all these things at thy word. Not only did he want a confirmation of God, he wanted God to confirm what he was doing. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that the people may know that thou, O Lord, art God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Now, I, um, I'm doing in my Sunday school class, uh, we're working our way through the Bible, and we're up to the book of Jonah, you know, verse by verse. And we were talking this morning in this class, I'll not rehearse my uh, rehash, my Sunday school lesson, but there's something phenomenal in it, is that Jonah, after the great sea monster spit him up, went on to Nineveh and went three went a day's journey into the city. It was three days' journey through the, through the city of Nineveh. And he preached, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's all he said. I said to my class, wouldn't it be great if you came to church some morning? And all the sermon was one sentence long. Would be kind of great, wouldn't it? The problem is, he said it over and over again. So here's this guy with one sentence standing, uh, you know, in the middle of Nineveh to preaching to pagans so brutal that in the book of Nahum he describes Nineveh as the most vicious and barbaric city in the known world. I mean, those folks were so vicious in Nineveh that they cut open and tore out the bodies of unborn babes out of the wombs of their mothers. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? It's called abortion in modern day. I thought I'd slip that one in. I mean, these people were so vicious, they were described as beasts. And when Jonah preached one sentence sermon, everybody believed in God. Now that's the remarkable thing. That when he finished his sermon, everybody in Nineveh repented and believed in God, even the king, and they took off their robes and they put on sack, sackcloth and sat on ashes. Because when the power of God falls, you don't have to say a whole lot. You don't have to convince people. There is this crying out, the Lord is God. The Lord, he is God. And I hope I live to see the day when, you know, when you can, can step into a pulpit, say one sentence, and everybody lost who is there believes in God. What a, what a thing that would be. 
And these people said, when the fire fell, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And, and Elijah said in verse 40, seize these prophets and they seized them and they slew them. I mean, kill them all. I mean, get rid of everything that smacks of ungodliness. What would you think of a doctor who performed surgery on you and, and uh, when you came to in the recovery room, he says, uh, found a little big cancer there, took out half of it. Just took out half of it. Yeah, you know, kind of hated to take the poor, you know, all of it out. Just thought I'd get a little bit of it. And so when the fire fell, Elijah said, get rid of them, and they did. Because it seems to me that one of the evidences of the fire of God falling on human life is that he wants to eradicate everything that is not of God. Now, I want to give four practical lessons, and we're history. Number one, when you're sure, when you're sure that you're in the will of God, you are invincible. The interesting thing about Elijah is, is that he's up there telling the king what to do. And this King Ahab is mad enough, he's, he's, he's had three years to work up a mad. And he's got a wife that's giving him misery. Get rid of this prophet, find this prophet and get rid of him. And, and he's telling the king what to do. Because when you know that you're in the will of God, you have nothing to fear. I think it was John Wesley who once said, fear God, and you don't have to fear anybody else. The equation was never 850 men against one man. The equation is 850 men against one man and God. And that's a bigger equation, my, my opinion, humble and accurate. When God is on your side, or you're on God's side, you don't have to fear anything. You don't have to fear Man, you have to fear uh, where the next meal's coming from. Isn't that the truth? You're invincible. Number, tw number two, back to verse 21. Divided allegiance. Listen to me. Divided allegiance is as wrong as idolatry. Mediocre, stale, uncommitted Christianity is as wrong as open idolatry. In fact, it might be worse. Now, there's not a single person here tonight who would stand up and say, I don't believe there is a God. I'm not an atheist. I would never, ever say that. But we practice it. It's called practical atheism. And the fact is, is that mediocrity is as wrong as open idolatry. I mean, one way or the other. Number three. In the final analysis, our most effective tool is prayer. It comes down to the final analysis. If it comes down to the final analysis, 
the best equipment or instrument you have at your disposal is prayer. Now let me ask you a question. Can you look back over this last week and find a time where you spent at least 10 minutes in prayer? Can you look back over this past week and, and remember or find where you spent a 10-minute period, at least 10 minutes, in prayer? Now, why is it if we believe that the greatest thing we have at our disposal, the greatest tool we have available is prayer, why do we not pray? I'll tell you, it's easier to preach a sermon for 30 minutes than it is to spend five minutes in prayer. It's the most difficult thing I'll, I do. Not the time spent in prayer, but getting there. Am, am I the only one? I don't think so. For most of us neglect the most important aspect of the Christian walk, and that is to lay hold upon God in prayer. Number four, never underestimate the power of a dedicated life. Now this whole chapter that I've read revolves around a dedicated life. Never underestimate the power of a dedicated life. It just has to be true now if it was true then that one person totally committed to God can change the course of his world, his, change the history of his world. One person totally dedicated to God can affect his school, can affect his community in a profound, life-changing way. There is no way to underestimate the power uh, of a dedicated life. Are you really committed to Christ? Are you really committed to Christ? What would happen if you went out of here tonight and infected, not affected, but infected one person with Jesus Christ so that that one person was literally a Jesus person? What would happen to this community? It is astounding to, to, to even comprehend what could happen if people sold out to God? And the selling out to God is not an easy proposition. Altars have to be pre prepared. And, and institutions that are entrenched have to be challenged. And the hardest thing in the world, that is, to break from the cycle of mediocrity. And what we try to talk about this morning where we just substitute religious exercise. The hardest thing in the world is to break that cycle and to give up those things that we don't need. Those luxuries that we waste. And to give ourselves totally to God as people of prayer and commitment and turn from the world and live, in a whole, in a, live a holy life that is separate and, and consecrated and clean. It's a hard thing to do. 
And because it's so hard to do, we don't do it. And because we don't do it, we halt along, we limp along between two, between God and the world, and have no effect on our world. My challenge to you tonight would be, if God is God, follow Him. Because he's, we put him to the test. He's been, he, you know, we don't have to put him into any more tests. The, 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 the final test, the final battle was won when Jesus was raised from the dead. And that was the ultimate victory. So we don't have to have any more evidence of whether or not he's the God or powerful. Follow him. That's the challenge. And I'll ask you to make. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this lesson from history and this prophet help us to imitate this man no, to, to know God that there's no difference really just difference in culture difference in time difference in the way people dress the same God calls for the same kind of commitment and the same kinds of challenges that faced anybody in any age and that you're looking for people who are willing to take that step of commitment total to surrender to you. I pray we'll be able to do it. God, call us to that courage, we pray in Jesus' name. Now, there might be some decision that you want to make tonight publicly, and we'll give you that opportunity while we stand to sing.